Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5,000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5,000. Enjoy. We welcome back Dr. Ullman, last on the program in September. Dr. Ullman serves on the senior advisory boards for Supreme Allied Commander Europe. Uh, that is S-A-C-E-U-R. And one of NATO's two strategic commanders and commander of U.S. European Command, UCOM, author of A Handful of Bullets, How the Murder of Archduke Franz Ferdinand Still Menaces the Peace. More than a pleasure to have Dr. Ullman back on the program. Dr. Ullman, happy Monday. Thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. Leslie, my pleasure to be back. Thank you. And a pleasure to have you with us. Um, when we look at Iran, and certainly everybody's eyes are on Iran and on uh, this deal, whether people are for it or against it or somewhere in between have a lot of questions or have a lot of hesitation. There are people that look to history and think that we are repeating ourselves historically. And you are such one such person. You wrote a piece entitled Around 2015, our 1914 and 1964 calling. Now, for those that don't know their history and love history, especially regarding Iran, uh, if you could remind people what took place in 1914 and 1964, and then we can draw the contrast in the similar On case. June 28, 1914, Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his pregnant wife, Sophie, were assassinated in Sarajevo. Um, in former Yugoslavia. And as a result, six weeks later, World War I broke out. In August 1964, North Vietnamese PT boats attacked USS, uh, two USS destroyers, USS Maddox. And two days later, two American destroyers were back on the scene, and another attack was alleged to have taken place. It didn't. And Lyndon Johnson, then president, used the uh, false attacks against those two Navy destroyers for the Tonkin Gulf Resolution, which was passed almost unanimously by Congress, which got us into the disastrous Vietnam- Vietnamese War in which 58,000 Americans were killed and God knows how many Vietnamese. The analogies are that if at the end of the day we decided we had to attack Iran to destroy its nuclear facilities, who knows whether we'd be catalyzing World War One? that is to say creating a regional war. And if there's no agreement reached. There's going to be huge pressure, the reverse as it was in 1964, on Barack Obama to do something about the Iranian nuclear systems. And I'm afraid that we could perhaps be coerced into launching a military strike against Iran, which I believe would be catastrophic. I, I would agree with that. <clears throat> and, I, and I have to say, uh, I also agree with what you write about the, that there'll be a further extension, most likely. Um, do you feel these negotiations at some point ultimately will fail? Uh, and, and we can talk about options if that is the case. So do you, do you think that this deal will be worked out? I feel it will be worked out because I, I think that Iran, in a sense, has no choice. If they don't change the economy, the people will turn on them. Um, 
If you ask me that question tomorrow, Leslie, I will give you an absolutely correct answer because that's (laughs) when we will know. Uh, There are three possibilities. One, a framework agreement will be be, uh, made, and that will then allow for a final agreement sometimes the end of July. the current talks could be extended for a day or two if they're really close. Or thirdly, they don't get an agreement, and both sides will go home, wait a while, and then decide either they can come back to the table, which I doubt they will, or just agree to disagree that the talks will not be able to succeed at the current time. So those are the three general options. My instincts are that it would be probably the first or the second, that there will be either some kind of a framework agreement or some kind of an extension. But, as I said, we'll know definitively tomorrow. Uh, no question about that. Let's um, also talk about options. Um, what are, options are left? I mean, the, let, let's move south for a second. President looks at Cuba, says, look, what we've been doing for decades isn't working. we got to change course. What we've been doing with Iran, you know, not perhaps not for decades, but, you know, for a while, quite a while, uh, is not working. What options are left? And when you talk about us... Uh, you know, striking Iran. There are a few things here. First of all, whether we like Iran or not, the law doesn't say that you can dictate what a sovereign nation does unless you don't like them. (laughs) And I say that because the United States has nuclear weapons. Israel has nuclear weapons. India has nuclear weapons. And And don't forget Pakistan, China, Russia, Britain, right, right, so, right, exactly. So a lot of people might say, "Well, if you know you're part of the axis of evil, you're not supposed, you know, you're not supposed to have them." I mean, technically, Iran's a sovereign nation, so there, we get in one, two. Then, if you want to talk history, we go back to uh, Iraq. If we invade a sovereign nation, right? Um, and then three, do we even look at a possible attack with Iran, or will Israel beat us to it? I think, I think Netanyahu will attack the day after tomorrow if this deal. He does not have, fortunately, he does not have the capacity to launch an attack that would be any way effective. He would require... Dr. Ullman, I'm sorry to interrupt. You just said, and I agree, fortunately, he does not have the the capability. Tell folks why you say that with, with your expertise. Let's step back for a minute and just think about the consequences of an attack or not attacking. Um... In March 2003, we went into Iraq, and nobody asked the what next question. The assumption was that Iraq would be immediately self-governing, and we would be able to go home in no time, and the world would be a better place. That was not only naive, that was derelict. Now, if we were to attack Iraq, and there's a chance we may decide that we have no alternative. If we do, in essence, we will be declaring war on Iraq. And don't think that Iran, rather, and don't think that Iran will sit back and just take it lying down. Iran has lots of options. It can use Hezbollah in Lebanon. It will attack uh, Israel. It has the Shia militias in Iraq, which it will no doubt use. It could decide to move on Bahrain, which has got a majority Shia population. It could close or threaten to close the Strait of Hormuz and drive oil prices way up, which would benefit the Russians as well as the Iranians. And it could continue that fight for a long, long time. Don't forget, it did not give up during the eight-and-a-half-year war with Iraq, in which it lost over a million people. A million of its soldiers were killed. It's a huge number. So it's a very, very formidable enemy, and we have to discuss what those consequences are. Now, if we did not attack, obviously the president would be under huge pressure, certainly by the Republicans and the Democrats. The Saudis and the other Gulf states would be yelling like crazy. They might be threatening to develop their own nuclear weapons. Israel and Netanyahu could threaten to do something stupid. Having said that, the only real option that exists, and it's the only option that President Obama has taken off the table, 
is containment. We can contain Iran. If we had to extend a nuclear umbrella over the Gulf, we could do that. Now, let's compare Iran to a couple of other nuclear powers. Let's and before try you, and before you do, Doctor, sorry to interrupt again, because you're saying so much stuff. I'm learning from you. I know our listeners are, but I, I, I want to get some things clear so that people understand. It, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong. Iran does not have the ability with a, a missile, the, you know, with the current uh, distance that a missile could go to reach the United States. Obviously, they do to reach Israel. Is that correct? That's correct, but they don't have a nuclear weapon. They are signatories to the non-proliferation treaty in which they said they would not develop nuclear weapons. But, but, but it is possible. it's possible they have one. They have been enriching uranium, isn't it? No, not really. I think the chances are uh, virtually zero. They would have had to test it. You don't want to say you have a nuclear weapon. And, and, and that's the key, isn't it? it that's, the, that's the key, the testing? I mean, Testing, but also having enough highly enriched uranium, and by every account they don't have it. The issue is how quickly could they use their centrifuges to produce it. So right now I would say they do not have a nuclear weapon and certainly not a deliverable weapon that could reach the United States or even Europe. Do you think they're bluffing when they talk about wiping out Israel? I, this is rhetoric. Remember Nikita Khrushchev said to President Eisenhower, we will bury you. Um, there's a lot of rhetoric. Think about what we have said when we went to war with Iraq. Colin Powell said, I will cut off the army and kill it. So sides, both sides use rhetoric. Uh, you have to realize the Iranians are opposed to uh, not so much the state of Israel, but the Zionist state and what they believe to be the expansionary nature of Zionism, and they argue that what's happening to the Palestinians is reprehensible. People can agree or disagree. So I think that there's an awful lot of rhetoric, but at this stage, I don't think that rhetoric is the particular issue. I think it's in the interest of not only Iran, but the rest of the world for Iran not to develop nuclear weapons, and we'll see what happens tomorrow. We, we also, uh, you know, I, I wonder, Iran knows that if they were to strike uh, or try and, you know, wipe out Israel, the rest of the world would wipe out Iran no, it with, wouldn't. with, with, it a, with us at the no, lead. No, let's, let, no, let's step back. Israel has, let's argue, somewhere between 100 and 200 nuclear weapons, I would say, with an average explosive value of 100,000, uh, 100 kilotons, which is 100,000 times of tons of TNT. I mean, five times larger than the bombs that were dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. So if if Iran had a couple of weapons dropped them on Tel Aviv and Haifa, they probably would kill more Arabs and Muslims than they would Jews. But they would invite such a counterattack by the Israelis, 50, maybe 100 large weapons, that Tehran, Qum, uh, Iran would be destroyed as a country. They probably would have 20, 30, 40, 50 million casualties out of a population of 80 million. So, so and, and Iran knows this, obviously. So Iran, Iran knows. So, so everybody out there, who, you know, especially extreme conservatives who are so fearful uh, that Iran is going to wipe out Israel. Everybody's after the Jews, and I'm half Jewish saying that. Uh, <laughs> I have one Jewish baron. But, you know, this, this is not a reality because the reality is Iran knows there'll be a parking lot. It would be suicide, ultimately absolute. absolute suicide. And you know what? Even though leaders may not in some countries care about their people, they care about themselves. What we have to realize is that in 1953, the West orchestrated the overthrow of Mohammed Mossadegh, who was then the prime minister of Iran, and put back the Shah. And the Iranians never forgave us for that. In 1979, uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini came back from Paris. The Iranians occupied the U.S. embassy in Tehran, and we have never forgiven them for that. We've got to put both those things behind us. Iran is a far more civilized state. 
It is a Persian country that's 5,000 years of history. It needs to be incorporated back into uh, society, into global society. That has got to be done delicately for the reasons that you cite, that Iran is seen as a pariah. You have the Arab problem with Iran. You have the Sunni-Shia split. You've got chaos in the Middle East. But there are two solutions. One is dealing with Iran. The other is dealing with Saudi Arabia. And if there's a third solution, is dealing with Israel and Palestine. Those issues have to be taken on if there is going to be a lasting measure of stability in the Gulf. Because right now, wherever you look from the western part of the Mediterranean, uh, as far as Pakistan and Afghanistan, you have a lot of ticking time bombs. Uh, absolutely, no question. There, and, and, you know, speaking of, is this deal the best first step, if nothing else, to achieve our goal of preventing or getting Iran to actually agree and trusting, in fact, that they will keep their end of the bargain if this deal goes through? It, you, you can't use the word best. <laughs> it's probably the least worst, um, but it's important that we take this step because every other option, it seems to me, is going to be a lot more dire. John Kerry raises... So you, obviously people questions. understand, just tuning in, you vehemently disagree with Netanyahu's position and those that, that hold his opinion to not do this deal. Oh, absolutely. And I think that uh, it's rather cheeky of a foreign leader to take on American domestic politics. What would happen if we did the reverse in Israel? That would be quite interesting. But John Kerry asked the relevant question. Uh, what is a better... What is If you don't like this idea, give me a better proposal. And there is none. The only... The only other alternative is an attack, uh, and the alternative beyond that is containment, which I think would work. But that means that the president would have to step back again, as he did with red lines in Syria and all other things, and reverse his position, which would be damaging politically. But that's far better once you look at the consequences of a military attack, because I think that would really light off an awful lot of these uh, ticking time bombs. And, and except for Israel, pretty much the world's on board with us here, at least a number a number of very influential nations that we consider to be uh, allies, at, at least in economics, <laughs> the economic sense, China uh, and Russia sometimes uh, can be an ally. But, you know, with this, we're all, everybody's on board. Well, uh, we have the United Nations. This is being negotiated through the United Nations, the permanent five, U.S., Russia, China, United States, Britain, France, plus Germany with the EU looking. And so... In terms of the major countries in the world, everybody would hope that this pact comes through because it's in the best interest um, worldwide. For example, Russia has a very long border with Iran. The last thing Russia would like to see would be an attack against Iran because that could easily spill over into Russian territory. So with the exception of Israel and a few neoconservatives in this country, the great weight of opinion, the great majority weight of opinion, one hopes is for an agreement. And similarly, this same weight of opinion would oppose a military attack at this stage unless or until Iran did something that was so destabilizing and so threatening that there was no alternative, and I don't see that happening. What do you, when people say, Dr. Ullman, you know, okay, what if we do this deal, and what, what if Iran doesn't keep their end of the bargain? We can't trust them, I mean, because they're the Antichrist in many people's minds. Well, they have to live with that. As I said, as I was saying earlier, the Soviet Union was a far more threatening and powerful adversary than Iran. The Soviets had tens of thousands of long, short, and medium-range nuclear weapons. China is a much more powerful country with nuclear weapons. Now, if you went back to the 1940s when 
Moscow was developing a bomb in the early 1960s when China was, you had these same kinds of arguments, let's attack them, we can't possibly live with them, we can't possibly trust them. The fact of the matter is we live with two countries that had far more powerful militaries and nuclear capacity than Iran ever will, and that could work. And similarly, in North Korea, despite the fact that this is a very, very strange ruler, and you talk about a country that's unpredictable, uh, the Bush administration realized that an attack was out of the question because of the damage that would have done to South Korea. And so we allowed Kim Jong-un to possess or at least develop I don't know whether he's got nuclear weapons, but he's got something that goes poof when he uses uh, those nuclear ingredients. Iran is a far more stable state than North Korea, and it is far, far removed from approaching any magnitude of danger that the Soviets and the Chinese did. And for all the arguments... And, and we know China, that North Korea tests yeah, <laughs> weapons all the time. I don't know whether it works, but my point right. was, if you take a look at the... Uh, Iran being a sponsor of terrorism, we said the same thing about the Soviet Union. They had the common form, the common turn, they had the KGB, they got their nuclear secrets from us, similarly with China. And by the way, we actually fought a hot war with China from 1950 till 1953 in Korea. So this notion that Iran is doing things that we find entirely unacceptable was the same arguments we used against the Soviet Union and China, yet we were able to maintain a measure of deterrence and containment against them. I see no reason why that would not work against a much smaller and less powerful country such as Iran. Dr. Ullman, you're awesome, a plethora of information and fact, and I like that, and also a very strong opinion. 